We're so happy to be together, to worship together, uh, and to grow in God. If you don't know me, my name is Josh. I am our Director of Communications here at the church, but I'm also our downtown location pastor, and I'm excited to share today. If you don't know, uh, you might hear it in my speech today. I'm Canadian by birth. Uh, Don't hold it against me. Uh, But I've been in the U.S. for like 15-ish years off and on in Rapid City for about eight years, and it's become uh, like home for me. I met my wife here. We've got a house here, and uh, just recently we had our first child, and so life is a bit crazy, but awesome. If you see me yawning today, I'm not just bored. Uh, It's the result of our current lifestyle. Uh, I'm excited to be here and just so happy that we get to be together. Uh, Would any of you consider yourselves to be really good drivers? And I don't mean like safe drivers, like safety second. Uh, Who's like a really efficient driver, like really good at getting from point A to point B, the best route in the best way possible? Uh, I would consider myself to be a, a very particular kind of person. Uh, my friends know that to be too true about me. That extends to every area of my life and especially my driving. I know like all the traffic lights in downtown Rapid. I know which lights have long left turn greens, which one have short left turn greens, uh, which streets to take if the lights red or where to go. Uh, I'm just really particular I like that. Anyone have my same freakish issues. Uh, that's just how I roll. But I want to let you, let you know today, I've got a tip for you. I want to let you know the best way to go through downtown Rapid City. If you're from here, ever visiting in Rapid, how to get across from the west side to the east side, okay? Here's my tip. When you're traveling from West Rapid, coming down St. Joseph toward downtown, you're going to get to West Boulevard, where, West, where Main Street and St. Joe split. Quite often, you get a red light there at West Boulevard. Ideally, you're first in line. You're that first car ready to take off. What I want you to do when you're sitting in your car and you're ready to go, uh, you're just kind of like waiting for that light to sit down. Just like chill out a little bit. Maybe like put your seat back, lean back, hand down, crank some tunes up, real chill. Instead of bursting out of that, uh, that red light, just slowly accelerate to about 20 miles per hour. Not 21, not 22. 25 is way out. 20 miles per hour. What's going to happen? You're going to get to 9th Street. That light is going to be red. You're going to say to yourself, this guy's an idiot. He's not know what he's talking about. But I promise you, at the last second, that light's going to turn green. You won't touch the brakes, and you'll sail right through. You get to 8th Street, Mount Rushmore Road. That light's faster. That turns green quickly. Don't speed up. Just keep that hold steady 20. If you speed up and you get to 7th Street, red light. Hit those brakes, game over. Just hold that 20 and you'll go 9th Street, 8th Street, 7th, 6th, even 5th Street. You get past 5th Street, the Hardy's there. It goes to 30 miles an hour by the courthouse. Just increase to 30. Keep rocking 30 all the way down there. That's a pretty long stretch from 5th Street to East Boulevard. And you're saying to yourself, Josh, not East Boulevard 2. Yes, East Boulevard 2. You're going to go from West Boulevard, 9th, 8th, 7th, 6th, 5th, all the way through to St. Pat without touching the brakes. And it is a glorious feeling. You feel like you're the best driver in the world. That's my personal 
opinion anyway. So what will happen, you'll drive this drive a few times. You'll drive it once, and you're like, okay, Josh might know what he's talking about. You'll drive it twice, and you're feeling pretty good. But the third or fourth time, you're at that light, and you're like, I know what I'm doing now. I'm ready to go. And this car pulls up next to you, and they're ready to go. Turns green, and they take off. And you think to yourself, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. And as you watch him hit 9th Street and slam the brakes on, those fools don't know how to drive. Meanwhile, you're just chilling, cruising down St. Joe, not a care in the world, watching everyone else break gas, break gas. And you just go, and it feels so good. And you begin to think to yourself, I'm a pretty good driver. I might be the best driver. Actually, I'm an amazing driver. I'm, I'm actually a pretty good person. People, they could only be like me. And they know how to, anyone experience those feelings of, why doesn't everyone drive like I do? It doesn't take long for us to go from something we didn't even know to thinking we're amazing drivers and even amazing people because of it. Today, we're talking about uh, the sin of pride. When we think of pride, we often think of a certain type of person. They might be loud or boisterous or look puffed up. And arrogance is an aspect of pride. But I think that more often, pride expresses itself in more subtle ways. We're in the series, Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, And each of these sins, these vices that we're talking about, they get in the way of relationships with God, with those around us, and with ourselves. And they keep us from loving those things. And until we deal with these sins, those relationships are going to keep breaking down. The Bible is full of wisdom on pride. There's a ton of verses about it. You've probably heard some of them. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The Lord detests the proud heart. Maybe your mom or or grandmother told you, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. A prideful life is not God's best for you, and it's not God's best for me. C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, Mere Christianity, says this about pride. He said, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of it than the next man. We may say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking or better driver than others. Lewis says, pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is anti-God because pride is completely self-focused. We begin to take what we think about ourselves, what we think about others, and place it above what God says about us and what God says about other people. Unfortunately, we live in a culture that is completely self-focused. We're obsessed with perception management. How do others see me? Our status, our symbols, our titles, looking perfect for those around us, having that perfect image, taking that perfect selfie. Today alone, 
around the world, there will be 92 million selfies taken. That's a number I can't even comprehend. Millennials, I'm sorry you get dumped on all the time. I don't, they study us a lot, I guess. But millennials will spend roughly seven minutes a day like this, taking selfies. Something like 52 hours per year looking like a weirdo with your hand in the air doing this thing. <laughs> seven minutes, I'd stand up here and just go like this. Who does that? We do, as people. Maybe you're asking yourself, um, is it wrong to want to make somebody proud? That, that can't be a bad thing, right? It's so normal for us in our development to want to make people proud, to make those mother and father figures in our lives, lives feel proud of us. Who doesn't want that as a kid as we mature? Another Lewis quote says this, For here the pleasure lies not in what you are, but in the fact that you have pleased someone you wanted and rightly wanted to please. The trouble begins when you pass from thinking, I have pleased him all is well, to thinking, what a fine person I must be to have done it. We want to please people. It brings us pleasure to please the ones that, that we love. But like he says, what happens a lot of the time, that pleasure begins to shift subtly. And we think, hmm, I must be a pretty, pretty good dude to have done this or done that or won this or achieved that. And it begins to affect how we think we're worth, what we think that we're worth. Paul, in our Bibles, uh, talks a lot about his accomplishments and his accolades. It's hard for us to completely understand what Paul is getting at here. Paul lived in, in, different, in a different culture than us, but it was very based on honor and shame and your heritage, where you came from. And so it's hard for us to understate the importance of the labels that would have been placed upon Paul, when he writes his letter to the church in Philippi in Philippians, he says, If someone thinks he has good reason to put confidence in human credentials, if anyone has a reason to be proud of what they've done, that's Paul. He said, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I followed all the cultural norms that made me accepted in my culture. From the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he's saying, I came from the right line. I had the right family name. People knew my heritage. I was set from the beginning. And he goes on, I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. In my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. Saying I was basically perfect. I did all the right things. I had all the right accomplishments. I had straight A's all through school. I was the valedictorian high school quarterback. I went to an Ivy League school on a full ride. I worked for a Fortune 500 company. I had all the right accolades and labels and everything that I could put on myself. I had achieved and accomplished those things. And he goes on and he says, but these assets I've come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. Liabilities. He keeps going. More than that, I now regard all these things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness 
derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a faithfulness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. All the things that used to qualify him, make him the best, give him the best status. He says, I count all those things as garbage, as dung, as crap. All the assets are liabilities. The things that we put on ourselves, the titles, the labels, the achievements that we wear around, those are liabilities, not assets. This idea is countercultural to where, to where we live. We want to wear these things. We want to, these to be a badge of honor on us. But in the end, these titles end up becoming weights around us that we have to carry and live up to. And our pride wants us to hold these things close to ourselves. The flip side of pride is shame. And while pride says... I'm too good for that person. I'm amazing. I'm too good for them. Shame says, I'll never be good enough. Or I can never make it again. What happens is pride usually leads us to shame. We begin to think much of ourselves like we, we are worth what we did. We did achieve this thing. We are this person then at some point we'll inevitably mess up and we'll try and cover up and hide our mistakes. See, pride leads to shame and shame wants to hide, cover up, cover over the things we didn't live up to. In our, in our Bibles, one of the first stories is, a story, is the story of Adam and Eve. It's very popular God takes these two people and he puts them in a garden. And this garden is perfect and full of life and fullness and abundance. And he gives the people one rule. He says, enjoy everything that I have. Make this garden your home. It's a blessing to you. Just don't eat from this one tree. And if you do, you'll die. And what do they do? They eat from this tree. You see this snake, this deceiver comes along and says, hey, you won't die. In fact, you'll be like God. You'll be equal with God. And their pride says, yeah, I, sh I should be equal with God. God made me pretty great. I'm pretty awesome. I've got this sweet life I'm living. Why shouldn't I be equal with God? But the Bible says, when they took from the fruit, they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. They were exposed, literally. They tried to cover themselves up, but God comes along. And the Bible says that God knit together clothes for them because God did not want them to stay in their shame, this place that pride had led them. In a similar way, Jesus has done the same thing for us. He's come to cover over our shame and free us from our pride, lift us up out of these places and move beyond them. Same author from before, Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, his second one, he says this, so then if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
What is old is passed away. Look, what's new is come. And that is good news for us today. It's good news for you and good news for me. Because what Paul's saying is that we, our former self, is no longer us. It's been crucified with Christ. But Christ lives in and through us. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see your accomplishments or your failures. He doesn't see the things you did or didn't do, did or didn't live up to, should or shouldn't have done. He sees himself. He sees Jesus. While he knows the deepest parts of our soul, he sees himself and he loves us. It's so easy to think that we need to prove ourselves to people around us, to God, to our families. But when we come to Jesus, we're made new in Christ. We're new creations. That doesn't need to be what we need to live up to. In 2008, I was at a retreat in western Michigan, and um, God doesn't always speak really clearly to me, like explicitly, but this day, I had a sense that God was saying something intensely to me. And he said to me, Josh, I know that you know that I love you. Like you think it in your brain. You've been told your whole life. But you don't believe it like deep down in the deepest parts of who you ha- in your gut. You haven't owned that. You haven't really accepted it or received it. And looking back, I realized that For so much of my life, I thought I had to earn my place, earn my status, earn approval, earn God's approval. And you know why? Because that's the way the world works. That's the way everything is geared all around us from day one. You've got to earn it. You've got to earn it. But God said to me, Josh, that's not the way that I work. I've given myself to you. I've laid it all down just Receive it. Just take it. Like I said, I'm a pretty new dad, and my son Jack is six, seven weeks old, uh, and uh, being a dad is one of the coolest things. Uh, I'm looking ahead, though, to in a couple of years, maybe sooner, there'll be a time where I'm out in public, and our son Jack has this crazy meltdown, and I dread this day where he just cries for no reason, or just because he's cranky or grumpy, or I did something, who knows why, people are going to look at me, and I'm going to feel their judgmental eyes on me. Probably those without kids. People will look at me, all the young singles will say, that was that guy. He's like, what is up with him? Is this guy a bad father or what? Get your life together. And there'll be a temptation in that moment to feel like, yeah, I'm... I'm a, I'm a bad father. Begin to wear that identity of bad father. I'm a bad dad. The flip side, I might say, I'm a good father. I'm, a great, I'm, I'm the greatest father there ever was. Obviously not true. But we wear these things, good or bad, and they can begin to define us. What happens is these identities and labels We put pride in them or take shame from them, and they get in the way of what God says that we are. But if I take my value, worth, and life, and everything I am from God, 
I can look at myself honestly and say, yeah, Josh, you were you're kind of a bad, bad father today. So how do you look different tomorrow? Or Josh, whether you're a good dad or a bad dad, it doesn't change how much I love you, how much you're worth. But when I say like, when I'm afraid or ashamed to be that bad father, I'll put blame on somebody else. It's Jack's fault. He's just a bad kid. Or it's my wife Christy's fault. She should have done this or she shouldn't have done that. We put blame on somebody else because we're too afraid to be honest and admit admit to ourselves who we actually are, what we can actually be like. When I take all my life, everything I am from Jesus, I can be open with who I am, not be ashamed of the mistakes that I made because I'm so worth it, so loved. There's lots of uh, talk today in our world about inflation, what things are worth or what they're not worth anymore. Things that were worth uh, a lot a few years ago might be worth the same price now or less or more. Uh, without getting into a whole like, lesson on economics, what something is worth is what, something will pay, what someone will pay for it. And the more scarce something is, the more someone will pay. You've seen this with used cars, the housing market, energy. And so what uh, are you and what am I worth? Well, you are infinitely scarce. It's only one of each of you. What was paid for us? The infinite God of the universe outside of all of this came in and inhabited a human body and lived and died. He paid the ultimate price because he loves each one of us. So I would say that each one of us has infinite value and infinite worth. And when we take our worth from the other things around us, the things that passed away so quickly, things that we try and earn that can easily be taken away and stripped from us, we don't live into what God truly has for us. We all have infinite value and worth. Something else about me is uh, I'm right a lot of the time. Uh, I don't mean to be braggy. It's not that I'm really smart or like a genius. Uh, here's my secret. Unless I'm like 95% confident, I just don't make definitive statements. So I, I just hate being wrong. And so I'm, I'm always really sure when I talk. At least I try to be. Now, at my best, that's because I don't want to lead somebody astray. Send them, send them down the wrong path or mess them up. But when I'm at my worst, when I'm at my least healthy self, when I'm being prideful, I'm so afraid someone will look at me when I mess up and say, wow, that guy isn't smart. Wow, that guy isn't well-read. Wow, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. These labels that I like to take pride from, things that I like to get my value from, can so quickly be taken from me. But this is insanity. Like, most people don't really care about this stuff, and God really, really, really doesn't care. My wife, she knows who I am. 
She knows whether I'm smart or not smart or whether I'm quick-witted or not or all these things. It's no surprise to her when I make a mistake. It's not like she says, Josh, what's the capital of South Dakota? And I'm like, I think it's Sioux Falls. We all know it's Pierre. She isn't saying to herself, well, this guy's an idiot. Who, who did I marry? What's, I'm divorcing this guy. No. But we play these games in our head that if I, if I admit to a mistake, that I, if I show where I'm wrong, then I'm suddenly worth less. But that's not the case. That's just a, a silly, silly game that the world around us plays. And you and I, we don't need to play these games. We can let them go. It's for other people. So how can you see pride in your life? Look at the things that make you look down on others or you try to use to make others look up to you. You can never uh, say you're sorry or admit that you're wrong. That's probably pride. When, uh, when I mess up or make a mistake sometimes or uh, forget something, uh, the other day I went to Crumble Cookie. My wife loves the Oreo cookies. And uh, I got the wrong one. I got the, like, some other brown-looking one. And I got home, and I, I realized I got the, got the wrong one. And I didn't want to, like, ad- admit to what I'd done wrong. And she didn't do it this time. But during a serious time, when I really offend her, uh, she'll say to me, well, are you sorry? And I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm sorry. She isn't going to love me less because I admit that I'm wrong. But I'm so, pride gets in the way and, and says that you, you can't admit to making a mistake. The irony is the complete opposite is true. When I completely, am completely vulnerable with her, my vulnerability brings us closer together when I admit and say I'm sorry. If you're always chasing the next rung in the ladder, the next title, the next status. That's pride working its way into your life. If you're constantly posting on social media selfies of yourself or TikTok dances every day, that's probably pride. If you can't post a picture without a filter, that's so hard not to do. That's pride. Because we're addicted to these little heart buttons, these heart things that we press. You you tap them, and whenever someone taps your little heart button, you're like, yes, I have value, I have worth. And they're telling you, you're you're worth something, you have value, you're important, you matter. We're trying to fill up our tanks from these external forces. But the secret is, we've already been given everything we need for life. When we accept what God has for us, We're so full. These extra things on top, they can't add any more to a full cup because we're already overflowing. And God wants us to receive those things today, not be proud of this other junk that that our world wants to say that give us these things. So how do we deal with pride, deal with shame? We stop sucking life out of these things that can't give us life to begin with. All these things that are fleeting. That weekend back in 2008, I just began to pray a very simple prayer. And 
I didn't just start believing God loved me the next day, but I would pray it day after day when I brushed my teeth, driving in the car, walking around, doing menial tasks. I would simply say, God, would you help me to receive your love today? Help me to believe it deep in who I am. Let me take all my worth, all my value, all of my life from you. And he began to work into me this truth that I have infinite worth. I don't need to play these silly, stupid games trying to prove myself all the time because I'm already filled up. So like Todd said last week, we begin by letting God do this work in us. God's waiting to work in you and pour out. He's already poured out everything you need. We take that fullness, and with the power of God inside us, we can begin to act differently in the world, to choose to live in different ways. And as we do, we'll begin to be transformed. With any of these vices, these sins we've been talking about, solution isn't simply just stop sinning. Just don't do that. See, it's not a journey away from a vice, but it's a journey toward a virtue. You're not going to be able to give up your vice while you're still looking at it. If you sit me at a table and put a slice of like really greasy New York pizza in front of me and say, Josh, you can't eat that, the longer I look at that, the more I'm going to want to put that in my mouth and destroy that pizza. It's like a kid leaving a candy store or an amusement park. They just, they're crying to their mom or dad or guardian. No, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go. I want to go back. They just can't leave this thing behind. Eventually, when that adult is sick of their crying, they're going to reach down, turn that kid's head around and say, hey, we're going. When you're trying to walk away from a vice while still looking at it, you're going to trip and fall. You need to turn and pursue those virtues. So to deal with pride, we pursue humility. We emulate Jesus. In uh, that same book from before, Philippians, Paul says this about the story of Jesus. He says, you should have the same attitude toward others, one another that Christ Jesus had, who though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like every other man, by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're called to imitate Christ. With the power and freedom that God gives us, we can turn that back and imitate him. I want to go back to that story of Adam and Eve. You see, they parallel the story of Jesus. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, but they were not God. Though they were in the form of humans, they, were, they regarded equality with God as something, as something they, that they could grasp. They were full of themselves and tried to take the form of and make themselves equal with God. 
even while still humans. They were humbled by becoming disobedient, which resulted in death. And despite being humbled, they still tried to make a name for themselves. Their descendants followed suit. They refused to bow their knees in this life or the next. Due to pride and stubbornness, they would not confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They were too concerned with their own glory. While we're called to imitate Jesus, too often we end up imitating Adam and Eve. See, the story of Adam and Eve is the story of us. It's the story of you, and it's the story of me. That's what's natural for us a lot of the time. We choose pride and try and exalt ourselves instead of choosing humility. And ironically, we end up humbled anyway. So let's just choose humility from the get-go. If only it were that easy. God wants to help you to embody that humility. So why does this matter? Why should we pursue these virtues? The simple answer is, because the Bible says so, or because Jesus said to. But man, should? That's a tough reason to do things. I should go to the gym. I should eat healthy. I should do all these things. That lasts for a while, but it's really hard to keep it going. I think a better reason is for the glory of God the Father. We have a calling and a purpose that is central to our very identity. We've been created to act humbly, not proud. And just like Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, so are you and so am I. And we can either choose their path of pride, ending in humility, or we can choose the path of humility to begin with. Return to our original calling to be image bearers, icons, images of God, images of Jesus. That's central. It's core to who we are. That's the most fulfilling life that God wants for us. And as we begin to embody these things over time, over consistently showing up, God will begin to work these things out in us as we rest in him. And eventually, people will look at us. They'll look at you, and they'll look at me. And they'll say, that person, how are they so content all the time? How person is so humble. I wish I could be like them. How is that person so generous? Or maybe that person used to be so selfish, and now they're so generous. They were so stressed out all the time. Now they're, now they're so content. What happened? You can, that's, you can say, that's the transforming work of God in my life. That's available to all of us today. That's the life that God wants for us. He's waiting to pour it out to you and to me. So my offerings to you today, receive what God has for you. He's already made it available. Just say, God, help me to receive it today. Help me to live in that power. Fill me up. Other things that I get, they're extra, they're overflowing. I don't need them. And two, with that power, begin to act differently. Make the choices to say you're sorry, to admit when you're wrong, to get off social media for a bit and begin acting humbly 
and God will transform us to be imagers and icons of him, to reflect him and his glory. Would you pray with me today? God, thank you that you don't just leave us in our shame, in our pride, but you want to heal us, bring us wholeness, because that's the most fulfilling, best life, bringing you glory by our transformation. This week, would you prompt us when we're tempted to act in pride, would you help us to choose humility? Fill us with your power. Fill us with your love. Help us to live out and act out what you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.